Vox Quick Hits. Hey, what's up? Hello. It's time for another episode of What to Watch, the podcast, where we tell you what to watch. I'm Emily Vanderwerf, Vox's critic at large, and I'm holding a cat. And I'm Melissa Wilkinson, Vox's film critic, and I am not holding a cat. Well, we're going <laughs> to wrap up Green Week here at What to Watch after we talked about so many other green things with talking about the new film, The Green Knight. Greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will lead thee. Green Knight is loosely based on the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is this medieval poem about Sir Gawain who meets a Green Knight. Um, Alyssa, you have seen this movie. Uh, tell me, you know, what it's all about, how it relates to the poem, and also, like, is Dev Patel's hair on point? Dev Patel's hair is never not on point, so I'm happy to tell you that as <laughs> Gawain, he has great hair. As you say, this film is based on this poem, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. People may have read it in high school. A lot of people seem to have read it in high school. Um, it's from the 14th century. It was written in Middle English, which means that it's been translated a number of times, one of them by J.R.R. Tolkien, more recently by Simon Armitage. Um, this is director David Lowry's attempt to translate it to the big screen. So you may know David Lowry from movies like Ain't Them Bodies Saints, Pete's Dragon, A Ghost Story. He always likes to make these films that kind of dip into these legends and these stories and these myths that we tell ourselves and look at them from a different angle. And that's exactly what he does in The Green Knight. The Green Knight is about Gowan, who is the nephew of King Arthur. We are in Camelot. We are in the age of the Knights of the Round Table. And it deviates a bit from the poem in that in the poem, Gawain is already recognized as this incredible chivalrous knight. And he's going on this quest um, because he needs to basically fulfill a promise that he's made to this mysterious green knight who appeared in Camelot on New Year's Eve. In this film, Gawain is a little less sure of himself. He's trying to kind of prove himself. Um, there's a lot of pieces of it that map neatly onto the poem, and there are a lot of pieces that deviate a little bit. And in the end, what you realize is that this is actually a movie about how legends get made, uh, how they get built around real people, but sometimes get taken out of their hands. But it also goes in some interesting other directions. I've actually recently written for Vox.com about the poem and how it matches up with some of the scholarship on Gowan and on this whole story and how the film comes into all of that. So I think it's a great film for people who kind of vaguely remember the poem, maybe, or have never read it at all. But it's also a great film if you just want kind of an adventure film that also feels like you're kind of in a dreamscape. When we're talking a green night, how green are we talking here? Are we talking jolly green, giant green? Or are we talking like, I'm casually celebrating St. Patrick's Day, so I'm wearing green, green? Like, how green? I, that's the thing that's important to me. Well, so in the poem, this this is actually quite interesting. In the poem, the knight is very jolly green giant-ish. He's 
got green skin, wearing green clothes, and he's on a green horse. In this film, the Green Knight is a little bit more of like a, I thought of an Ent, honestly, from The Lord of the Rings. Kind of a tree beard kind of fellow. He looks like a tree. And this is one of the things that's very interesting about the film and one way to kind of watch it if you're going into it is that there might be a clash between nature and civilization in this poem. The round table is this kind of gray, almost industrial looking Christianized place that these knights are hanging out in, which is was kind of King Arthur's whole thing. And then there's this intrusion of nature and the Green Knight is part of that. And so a little bit of this is the battle of man against nature, possibly a little bit of a question of environment and our present day degrading environments and how that differs from the past. All of that's kind of present in the film. I think one thing I love about the movie is that it's just weird and eerie enough and, and not contemporary in any way. So you can kind of read your own meanings into it and also understands that there is a basic ancient story going on here. Do I need to read the poem to watch this movie? So I would say it's not necessary. Uh, however, you can if you want. And if you wish to, I would recommend actually the audiobook version um, read by Simon Armitage, who translated the poem from Middle English. He he reads it in English and then he reads it in Middle English, which is just kind of weird and fun to listen to. But you can get by by just reading like the plot summary on Wikipedia. We also have written a couple pieces at Vox. Our colleague Constance Grady has written about the poem and why it still slaps, even though it's not the 14th century anymore. And you will get a little more out of the movie if you know the ways that it's deviating from the basic plot of the poem. So I'd say familiarize yourself. You're not going to spoil yourself on the film. Um, and just be aware that what you're going in to watch is not exactly an action film. It's not exactly maybe a sword fighting, swashbuckling film the way you might expect. It's a little more creepy. It's a little more strange. And in the end, it feels a little more like something that might linger with you. Uh, this is made by the studio A24, which is famous for making like really cool um, art house movies. They made things like Moonlight. They made uh, Ari Aster's films, Hereditary and Midsommar. They made like Lady Bird. They've made a whole bunch of movies. But I think that also they've become kind of famous for making you know, horror movies that look great, but are on kind of a smaller budget. I mentioned the Ari Aster movies, but also like The Witch is in that category. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, Alyssa, how do they do at sort of trying to do something fantastical or medieval or what have you in the kind of lower indie drama budget range that they have? Like, what are the production values on this thing? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are definitely special effects uh, throughout the film, but I would say it feels a little more real, if I can say that, a little more gritty. So there are places where we're obviously, you know, watching something that's been very carefully developed in post-production and, you know, things that obviously don't exist in the world. But there's also just a lot of shots of Dev on his horse like riding across the moors and it's, you know, rocks and grass and it's gray and green and it's it's very cool. And there's a lot of these kinds of places that the film takes place where we're just looking at real stuff. Um, I think that's really enjoyable to watch. I think it adds a, a layer of what feels like real authenticity to it. Um, and it also is kind of in keeping with A24's whole aesthetic, which is very art house, I guess, very down to earth um, and not trying to go for maybe the glossy 
production values that you might see in a blockbuster that you might see on the big screen you know, during the summer or something like that. This is a smaller film. It's a weirder film. It's a more niche film. And I think for a lot of people, it might throw them off balance when they first start watching it. But if you kind of sink into it and hang on, I think it really grabs you. Alyssa, Dev Patel, very good actor. Um, David Lowry, his his movies often allow for an opportunity for his lead actors to do great acting, but often very quiet, reactive acting. I'm thinking particularly of a ghost story where, you know, Casey Affleck is in a sheet for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, what does uh, what does Dev Patel get to do here? How How is he? I mean, I love watching Dev act. I was thinking about his recent film, David Copperfield. He played David Copperfield in a film, which was, again, another, like, surprising casting choice, perhaps. You know, Dev is not the same kind of, like, white English actor who usually gets cast in these things. But he's fantastic. And one thing that this movie does well is that a lot of it's kind of taking place almost, it's not necessarily in his head, but we're we're really meant to be synced up with his mental space and be understanding the kinds of experiences that he's going through. And that's very much in keeping with his very expressive face. Um, he has an interesting physical presence, I think, on screen. And All of that works beautifully with the kind of character he's supposed to be playing here, which is someone who's very young. He's very unsure of himself. He's a bit immature. Um, He's prone to giving into his desires. He's also prone to just being exasperated a lot. And all of that comes into play in this film. I'm introducing a new segment in this episode that neither you nor Taylor know about that I just thought of. And I'm calling it extra credit. If I like this movie, what's some other stuff that might be good for me to watch or read or listen to, you know, that that hits that Arthurian vibe. I've seen some Arthurian movies and most of them I don't think are are terribly great, although I will confess that I really love A Knight's Tale. Heck yeah. Um, but I'm going to tell you that one movie you might want to just know is out there, maybe watch it after you see this, is surprisingly enough, Martin Scorsese's film, The Last Temptation of Christ. And that's all I'll say. There's also a John Borman's really terrific film, Excalibur, is on HBO Max now. Mm. I just noticed that. So that is worth watching. Alyssa, how can I see The Green Knight? And, uh, you know, how long is it? So The Green Knight is playing in theaters. Um, it's opening, I think, a little small, and then it's going to open in more and more theaters. It was actually supposed to originally premiere at South by Southwest on March 16th, 2020, but we know how that went. Um, the movie is two hours and five minutes long. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening, everybody. We're going to see you next week with another pick of What to Watch. And if you yourself are looking for a recommendation on what to watch, no matter how big or how small, you can email our producer, Taylor, at taylorasinswift.may is in the month, can is in soup can, at voxmedia.com. That's taylor.maycan at voxmedia.com. It's actually pronounced Macon, but I'm, I'm calling it Macan now. So you can also subscribe to Vox Quick Hits and tell all your friends about our show. Alyssa, a lot of the time, directors like to work with the same actors again, and it strikes me that within this genre, there's a real chance for David Lowry to work with Pete's Dragon again. Did he bring Pete's Dragon back for this film? No sightings of the dragon, but, um, you know, there, there's always time for a sequel. <laughs> 